you're listening to Sending the Experts with Georgina Durant. This podcast is all about teaching and supporting children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, SEND. My name is Georgina Durant. I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by Twinkle SEND. As a former teacher in Senko myself, I wanted to create a platform to share some of the amazing things that my guests are doing to support learners of SEND. So whether you're listening on your commute, tuning in whilst walking your dog or curled up on the sofa with a nice cup of coffee, thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Robert White. Robert White describes himself as the only Asperger, gay, dyslexic, cross-lateral, quarter-Welsh, web-toed, hypersensitive, gluten intolerant, pseudo-genius musical comedian. There is probably. <laughs> and you, our listeners, probably know him from his hilarious performances on Britain's Got Talent in 2018, where he gained second place. Robert is a comedian and he worked his way up the stand-up scene starting in 2004 and found early success as a finalist in the prestigious Hackney Empire competition in 2006. He has gone from strength to strength and in 2010 won the Malcolm Hardy Main Awards at the Edinburgh Festival. He is now a sought-after act who regularly performs in big clubs, little clubs and those in between, theatres and festivals around the UK and abroad. He divides his time between comedy and gigs, tours and whatever else comes up, writing songs and musicals and talking to people about autism. I had the pleasure of watching him live at the Nason Awards last year where he presented the awards and treated the audience to a comedy performance and he was absolutely brilliant. Hi Robert, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Can I just say congratulations on Britain's Got Talent for 2018 and all your work since then. And I absolutely loved watching you at the Nason Awards. We were, I was having a coffee with some of the people on my table afterwards and I was saying to them, I need to get him on my podcast, he's brilliant. <laughs> so how are you? Well, I'm fine. It, it was lo- well. It was lovely both to do um, Britain's Got Talent and to do the Mason Awards. Um, I have to say, I earned more money from doing the Mason Awards um, <laughs> because Britain's Got Talent is one of those things. It just gives you a platform. It was. It's a. Uh, it, it was great to do. Very long time ago now, yeah. um, but no, it was. I do all sorts of different gigs, as uh, you very well read off my little bio, <laughs> um, and. And the Mason, the Mason Awards, it was, I suppose, because I'm autistic, um, uh, it was it was related because the Mason Awards is to do with uh, special educational needs resources. Um, and yeah, so I was invited. I did it. Thank you for thinking that I'm funny. Yeah, it was brilliant. I laughed so, so much. Um, so I'm really, really lucky that I get to interview, I interview lots of, sort of experts on special educational needs um, on the podcast, but I'm always keen to ensure that I have like the real experts on there, people like yourself who have lived experience of special educational needs, being autistic and dyslexic. So I'd love to know more about your background. When were you diagnosed as autistic? Um, I was originally diagnosed uh, as cross-lateral when I was, I think I was like, 10 or something and you know I'd done odd things I think at primary school I'd wrapped the um one of those long climbing ropes round my neck and it looked as if I was trying to commit suicide but I wasn't I just thought why don't I do this that looks fun oh dear and um my the odd things like that um once once when my mum sent me to my room um I dressed up my large cuddly toy panda in my own clothes chucked it out the window <gasps> so when it went sailing past where she was having lunch she thought I'd committed suicide so that was a I was odd but then other times I was very sort of cheeky and 
um, funny and I was just an odd kid. So in 19, well, mid, late 1980s, I went and I was diagnosed cross-lateral. And what that means is um, your strong hand usually is the opposite way around to your strong eye. And that has some sort of relation to the sides of the brain you use. But in me, my strong hand and my strong eye, I think are both on the same side or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, it really meant was we don't know what's going on. This is the late 1980s. We are West Sussex County Council and we're not going to diagnose you with anything which is of any significance at all. So I went through my whole secondary school being thought to be dyslexic, but not actually any assistance or help for it. And then I got to university and um, I went for a dyslexic test. Uh, because I thought it would get me a free computer, which it did. And while I was there, they kept pushing for this autism test. And I said, why are you doing that? But, they, but I, know, I didn't do it there. It was, only, it was only a few years later, once I was in therapy after various sort of traumatic events had done, you know, a, a whole sort of things to my life, that it was then a case of, oh, we can see the wood for the trees now. What is it? So when I was in my early... 20s he says eventually getting to answer your question I was I was I was initially um it was suggested to me by this uh therapist I went to for um sort of depression and stuff that I might be autistic Asperger's she said which now is you know a term of questionable um yeah usage etc um, and because I looked in the book and because it fitted me so much, I didn't get a formal diagnosis until my late, I think mid thirties to late thirties. Oh, so wow. about 10, 10 years ago. I know because I, uh, for me, it was just enough to, for someone to go, look, this is what's going on. And I went, yeah. ah, that's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Just enough to so, sort of understand yourself and <laughs> yeah, mm. make things make sense. And that, yeah. It was only later that I realised that I probably needed a bit more sense making. Yeah. So what what was school like for you being undiagnosed? They didn't know you were dyslexic. They didn't know you were autistic. What was it like? Um, Well, uh, I was in the special class where everyone else was sick and I was writing symphonies, um, which is probably a very disparaging way to describe both them and me. But I was... I had no friends. My one friend was, well, I had two friends. One was the piano and the other was um, uh, toast and peanut butter and <laughs> other forms of food. I got to the age of 16 and I was 16 stone, comfort oh, eating, wow. life, lifelong bulimia, which destroyed my insides and rotted my teeth, oh, suicidal thoughts all my life, depression, mm. bloody, bloody, blah. Um, school was horrific. I remember yeah. in, my fir- in my first year of school, um, there was a maths test at the end of the first year and at the end of the maths test last page was this little sort of IQ puzzle thing and the only two boys in school to get that right were the clever maths boy and this odd naughty <laughs> boy who they didn't really quite understand and they pulled me into the headmaster's office to ask how I cheated oh, and and seen the the other kids paper the other side of the room 
when I, how can you do that yeah so impossible so, but so uh, I know this is supposed to be sort of light and hilarious and stuff and I'm a comedian no. and stuff but it really it re- the you know it, the, without diagnosis without help these things can be horrific yeah no that's it and that's not I wanted you on that on here for that reason as well I get that you're a comedian but obviously this time in your life isn't funny and it was really hard and I think it's important for teachers to realize the importance of diagnosis and the importance of children understanding themselves because if they don't understand themselves the implications for mental health is huge isn't it yes I I I, as um you know I've got 20 years that pays testament to it I've got a set of teeth that pays testament to it I've got quite a lot of money paid on therapy that pays testament to it yeah so absolutely so were there any parts of school that you did enjoy you say music was that something that was your I, thing yeah I, I I played the piano all the time I was in the little I was in the music room all the time on my own in a little piano sound boothy room and that was my that was me and yeah. I used to write little songs and um and and really that is that is what saved me both playing piano at school and I had a piano in my room at home and I'd constantly bang out um out of tune tunes on my broken piano at home or one of the dodgy old pianos at school and that's what I did I wrote music yeah and that was your thing brilliant and that that was it yeah yeah looking back at your time at school then what do you wish teachers had done differently what do you wish what or what support do you wish they'd been for you what could have helped uh, well I suppose firstly the basic recognition of difference that yeah. this you know this kid might be there um then some element of differentiation between different people with different special needs not just lumping them all into one room and going look you're all the same mm-hmm. um some understanding that with um difference comes ability as well and it's not just a case of you being put in a talk mar- box marked well we don't understand him therefore he can't do anything mm-hmm. um and and just noticing the signs i i remember once being in an assembly and this person had come to talk about, you know, homeless children in Brazil or something. And he said a rhetorical question to the class, hands up anyone in the class who hasn't got a friend. <laughs> I, do, I don't understand rhetorical questions and I didn't have any friends. Yeah. So I put my hand up. Now, nowadays they might go, something's going on there. But back yeah. then they just thought I was taking the mick and oh. having a joke about a very sensitive subject of poor you know destitute yeah. kids so that instead of being this kid who was friendless and misunderstood I was someone who was taking the piss out of kids that were friendless and misunderstood oh. and so and that's how I was treated um but what else could that but the, you know there's all sorts I, I think my, my my main rule of thumb for education is that the autistic child's life or the dyslexic child's life should reflect the autistic or dyslexic adult's life. Um, one thing that teachers like to do if uh, kids can't write, uh, if kids are dyslexic, is to get them write, to write neatly all the time. Yeah. But as a, dysle- as a dyslexic adult, I don't do that. No. I, 
I if I write messages to my agent or to my friends or just around the place it's as rough as anything but yeah. if I write a script or if I write uh you know an official document I have the ability to write well yeah um and similarly lots of parents I know worry about their kids only eating one or two things yeah yeah as as if it's a real sort of detriment to their life well I eat the same meal day in day out yes you do gradually grow to like more things over the years um and you should try and have a healthy diet but I suppose for the last three or four years every day I've been having baked potato green beans <laughs> peppers or onions and then fruit and I have that day in day out and I like it so yeah. I think I think one thing for teaching is that the autistic adult experience is 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 just a different experience it's not a wrong experience and yeah. it's not wrong for the children to be growing towards that because that's what they're likely to have yeah if you think about it there's people who couldn't exist without football mm -hmm. and there's other people who couldn't exist without their local choir and there's yeah. other people who who couldn't exist without religion and some people think oh it's because it's you know uh, they, they live for their family or other there's all these different ways of being yeah um, and you, you, if, if you have a kid whose way of being is sort of drastically different to your own, it doesn't mean it's wrong, it just means no. it's different. Yeah. And you yes. should be, you know, educating that child and growing that child to be them as an adult. Yes, absolutely. And not trying to change them, trying to realise who they are and learn more about yeah. it rather than trying to change them to be more neurotypical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So was university a better time for you then when you went to university? What did you study at uni? University, I studied music, composition. Yeah, it's it's an odd one though, because I still couldn't do people. So I think at university in my, between my, in the summer holiday between my first and second years, I wrote a symphony mm -hmm. and I got a mini orchestra together. Wow. And that, and that was an orchestra. It was out. It basically was outside of the curriculum mm -hmm. because the curriculum taught like modern, what they call, um, they call it, uh, I think there's an umbrella term of uh, uh, 20th century compositions that will count minimalism and expressionism and Stravinsky and, but, and Schoen, but basically all music that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> anything that sounded like that whereas I was writing music with a tune I was writing tonal music wow. and that wasn't included in the so I did that all of my own back got it together but the outcome of that was I thought oh I'm having to work with 16 people that's a bit awkward so then in my third year I wrote for a little jazz group which was eight people and I thought oh I'm having to work with eight people that's a bit awkward <laughs> so then I worked with singers so it's just me and a singer and I thought oh that's a bit awkward <laughs> and then eventually um I just stopped I just wrote for myself and put it in a drawer because one of the big things about this industry is that so much is to do with um making connections yeah so much more is to do with so much more is to do with being nice and knowing the right people than actual ability yeah um if if you've got ability it really really helps when you get the opportunities but to get the opportunities in the first place people skills is you know it's it's just up there and if you mm -hmm. haven't got them 
then uh, everything you do goes in a draw. Oh, yeah. So, it, yeah, impacted on on that as well. That's really yeah. hard. But 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 I it it was. I'm not saying it is all horrific. I got into <laughs> play in, I got I got to play in bands. I did connect with some people. Um, I made friends. Whereas at secondary school, I didn't really have that many friends. Um, I had friends in a little music group when I was in secondary school, but not you know wider friends. Second at university, I wasn't being bullied and picked on. Yeah. Um, there isn't that you know because secondary primary school oh Robert's just Robert secondary school oh Robert's different it's wrong to be different yeah. university university everyone's a bit more mature and like well just be who you are and um from that way there wasn't the weight of being picked on constantly and that that's what um I then realized I was gay because I, I stopped hating myself for being fat and I needed something else to hate myself for. <laughs> and then, and then you know, and then that sort of got, it went all, all sort of complicated and stuff. But I, I think university did get me some friends, some connections and did move me on slightly. Although we're talking about moving on slightly a person who's got lots of complexities. So it's baby steps. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, if we move on to after university, so after university, you trained to be a teacher. I was excited to read that you used to be a teacher. Um, I what? Yeah. How long for and what, what, what made you want to do teaching? Tell me about teaching. All right. So what happened was um, I came out of prison and I didn't know what to do. And I mm -hmm. wanted to be a composer. And as a musician, there are very few um, areas of um, work that you can go into. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll go into teaching because that way I can teach and do composition alongside. And um, I did the course and I didn't like one placement and one placement I liked very, very much indeed, which was a, a, a private girls schooling mm -hmm. brilliant. And the, the, the music teachers themselves thought I was brilliant and thought I, they thought I was a bit odd, um, but they thought I was brilliant. Um, and then I went to get my first teaching placement and I told the headmaster I had the criminal record. He accepted the criminal record. After nine weeks of being there, um, he got me into his office and said that I was uh, being let go because of my criminal record. Because oh. whilst, whilst he had accepted me, the local air authority hadn't. Oh, so I know. Unfortunately, because of um, no diagnosis for autism and because of everything that had gone on with prison, the relationship with my parents had broken down because my mum basically couldn't take anymore. Mm. So when that happened and I turned to my parents, they said, well, you can't come home. Oh, and gosh. because the flat went with the teaching job, I basically effectively then was homeless. Oh, my goodness. So um, that then scuppered teaching for a very long time. Um, but also what scuppered teaching was the fact that I sort of my heart was still into composition. Yeah. So over the last uh, last 20 years, I've done that placement of teaching, the, the, te the teaching course, which I really enjoyed when I was at the girls school. And then um, the first job, which fell through because of what I just said. Mm -hmm. Then I've done 
another job which was only a part-time job it was it was covering maternity leave until they were finding someone else or something and that was I thought that was really great but my mind heart was still torn so at the end of that that's when I discovered comedy and then I was going oh maybe this is something I can do and then I've done another primary school recently I uh, like 2017 I did a primary school placement teaching music and that was great and then the last one I did in 2009 20 after the pandemic yep I did a year at um uh primary school in Crawley and I really enjoyed that and that's basically the first job I've ever done for a year that I really enjoyed and that they'd really want me back Brilliant. And the reason the reason I did it was because when I was homeless, when I was younger, from then there's always been this little thing that sat on my shoulder saying you need a proper job. So even <laughs> though I'd be I'd been getting you know one two three thousand pound corporates from comedy and I'd been earning enough money and gigs and everything and people wanted me, but still this little thing was on my shoulder. So yeah. after the pandemic, I said to myself, give up comedy, do teaching. So I did a year doing three days a week in this primary school as I kept on comedy, planning to reduce it down. And after doing a year at this school, it taught me, instead of teaching me, well, you can do teaching now, it taught me, you have got teaching now, so you don't have to do it and you can choose what you want to do. So then in 2020, just gone, Last, last, last September yeah for the first time in my life I think I've wiped away this little thing off my shoulder because I know I can do teaching if I yeah. want to brilliant I it's have got quite so, down <laughs> yeah it's so basically since then I've, I've 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 whacked up the comedy and I've upped my Instagram upped my TikTok I've got many more gigs I've started to tour I've started writing for a autistic cartoon which you might know called Pablo yeah I know Pablo that's fantastic um we're doing a new series of that and I'm doing some episodes and stuff of that and oh, I've got wow. a mu- and I've got a musical I'm working on which um which I've been working on for a long time but it, it looks as if things are starting to happen now yeah. so yeah I was it goes without saying that, that that when people are watching this, they're not just going to learn about autism from what I'm saying, but they're also going to learn about autism from how I'm saying it. In that, they're, you know, even as an adult, people who are watching, a simple question is asked, and the amount of backstory you need. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, be concise. Be no, concise. I love it. <laughs> no, but I, I, I th- yeah, so. Th- Yes, uh, the the simple answer is <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I have done teaching. Was, <laughs> if you did go. it like that, it would be the shortest podcast ever, though, wouldn't it? If you answer my questions so concisely, so I'm pleased you're going into detail, Robert. It's brilliant. I've really enjoyed listening to it. Um, tell me about Britain's Got Talent, then, because there'll be people listening who want to know about that definitely. Because I remember watching you on there, and you were so funny. It was great. Yeah, tell me a little bit more. You're gonna have to go in more detail. All right, no, all right then. I was, I was going. I was, I was going the other way that way. Um, I I would say um, it was exciting. It was uh, a bit of a buzz. Everyone to do with the show itself were great. Um, 
there were some issues after the show agent related but I think you know that's you know it there's an element to which everything's got its downside but yeah. I think the show itself is a is a nice show and um the judges all the judges seemed decent nice people and it was just quite a weird odd exciting time what would yeah. you like to know about it specifically I don't know what's Simon like <laughs> Simon doesn't Simon doesn't really speak so you know. don't really know I don't know whether he's got one brain cell or if he's got a, a PhD and you know five memberships to Mensa he really <laughs> doesn't say much behind those eyes you don't see much um and uh but but that way I, I think he's he's honest and he yeah. speaks about what he knows about when you see him on the program and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to music and singers and stuff. Yeah, I just yeah. thought maybe when it came to comedy, he wasn't totally on what I do, but then that's why he's got other people on the panel. Yeah, absolutely. And was it was it nervous going on the stage or did you enjoy that part when you were stood up there in front of everybody? All right. So Autistic, bright lights, sound. Yeah, a bit of a sensory pe overload. People understand. It's always, it's, even now it's still a thing. But the way I've got round all of that, he says, touch wood, um, <laughs> is I sort of do things by numbers. Okay. So understanding, I look out into an audience and I get empirical data, which substitutes for not having intuitive social skills. And I add up everything about the room and... I make a sort of complex pattern of everything that's going on and I, I, I consciously think of my senses and my people skills at the same time as doing the gig, which may seem complicated. And, you know, yeah. if you're a comedian, a comedian who just walks on and does everything from your sort of gut confidence, it seems, you know, over the top. But then again, if you think about... Um, multiplying up the two different things if you multiply up apply up as a sort of numerical process mm -hmm. from you know a hundred seat theater to a 400 seat theater to seven million people on tv that is a thing that you, you can do the calculations to do that if you try and multiply up just a basic gut reaction <laughs> to seven seven million people then you know your gut ends up being on the floor so yeah. I, I sort of had a benefit in the fact that I had a lot of thought through processes for what I was doing. So I didn't really think seven million people. I just thought that person there, that person there, the lights there, the speakers are there. I can hear that. I can hear that. I'm doing that. I'm looking. I, I was yeah. calculating because that's what I have to do anyway. That seems such a more logical way of doing it almost. It seems to make more sense if you think about it than just going off your gut and trying to think of it from, from that. That seems more logical. I like it. Well, the number of people who get on stage just through confidence is, well, people do have their processes, but there is a lot of, you know, I'm here, this is my general confidence. You see it in comics all the time and, yeah. you know, good on them because if they can and if I could, I would. But I was just sort of slightly lucky that I didn't have to rely on yeah, you know yeah. my 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 stomach because you know if if you've got stomach for confidence and you multiply it up, yeah, it's very quickly um it's very uh closely situated to another part of your body. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on from that, so yeah. 
how can people find out about you and what you do do you visit schools Robert still do you do like do, do schools invite you there is that something you want to do or I'm just thinking teachers listening um I've got I do school visits you can go on my website robertwhitecomedy.com yeah. at Robert White Joke I'm doing a talk at the end of the week in uh Clandidno and I'm going to school there I do comedy gigs I do lots of Instagram and TikTok, which is very different from what I do in school. But if you go on my website, I have got an autism page as well, which has more like the sort of things I do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I do schools for autism. Hopefully I'll be doing schools um, with sort of music workshops soon. I don't know. I've got so much I want to do. I've written this musical, <laughs> which um, I is basically there's um, uh, David Williams. I uh, when I did Britain's Got Talent, and I asked him if I could write a musical for one of his books. He said yes, and I've done that. Oh wow! And that's now that's now got chosen to be showcased at the Oxford Playhouse in May. Okay. So hopefully we'll get a producer. If we get a producer, that goes on tour and working with um, youth music theatre groups and writing musicals and stuff is bas basically what I want to get into. So yeah. when my life stalled at the age of 20 and composition went to the wall, ever since then, I've basically been trying to get back in. Yeah. So hopefully that will start happening a bit more soon. Um, but yeah, you can look on my website for visits to schools. Brilliant and uh, all of my bits yeah that's fantastic I think like we were saying earlier about how important it is for teachers to realize an autistic child becomes an autistic adult it's really useful for autistic children to have autistic adult role models isn't it isn't it so having people who are autistic coming into the school is a useful thing for autistic children and then your typical peers as well so that'll be really useful so I will put your website in the show notes for people to click on and find out more brilliant and thank you so much robert you've been brilliant i really enjoyed chatting to you thank you well thank you hope it hasn't been too heavy no. um, and have a lovely day and thank you for having me I hope you enjoyed that episode. He was a great guest. Um, as I said, I've popped the link to his website in the show notes below, so do have a look at that. I've also put some resources from Twinkle about autism and dyslexia into the show notes as well, so do have a look at those resources. And thanks again for listening to Sending the Experts with me, Georgina Durrant. Please spread the word that you're listening and share on social media so others want to listen to. Thanks.